0: Okay, so the day after Yom Kippur, I always tell you the same thing. that it says in sit it says in sit which means the day after Yom Kippur, you get up early and you run to Shul. It doesn't sit It doesn't Sidir. Now, the pressure to Pshat is, you have a clean slate, no more Avedis, you want to happen start a Mitzvah. The Chazal say, l- t'al-chem that the first day of Sukkot is Rishon Lechesh Ben Havoynes. The first day of Sukkot is when the Avedas start to count. Now the reason why you say that the first day of Sukkot, which is on this Thursday, is Rishon Lechesh Ben Havoynes, because between now and then you have Posheth no time to do any Avedas, some of your mitzvahs to do. <laughs> but the not and Siddur, you get up in the morning and go to to Daven early, so you start a new cycle of mitzvahs and you have a four day head start mitzvahs over Aveda see normally the Gemara says agdem hara you get when you're born yeitsa tev you don't get fully until bar and mitzvah you don't begin to get it till a bris until a girl is given a name but after yom kippur, it's the other way around you right to start mitzvahs and then sukkahs <laughs> is doesn't say that but I'm not so holy, frankly. I don't wait till the first day of Sukkot for my first ovid, unfortunately. I'm not saying it proudly. It's just a fact of life. Okay, uh, there's no time to Oven us in sukkas. Relatively speaking, the four days before are not so difficult. But I have a shot which is so real, and it's very real for me, in my own life. Now, a with children and responsibilities, is a, is a whole nother Yiddish guide. But the reality is, by every person, Yom Kippur is a very exhausting day. It's very exhausting, very tiring. And uh, the Yetzirah, how gives you give Yom Kippur? He gives it to you. I just saw the other day, a sikh from the Rebbe. They gave it out for this Yom Kippur. I actually have it here in my pile. The sikh that they gave out for this Yom Kippur is a sikh from Shabbos Pashas HaAzinu. Shabbos Shuvah, Topshin Shem 1969. That's, what is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Forty, forty-six years ago, I reckon. This is the Sikha they gave out this week. And the first Sikha is a very interesting Sikha. It speaks about the Sershamei Tshuva in three grouping. Rosh Hashanah, Sershamei Tshuva, and Yom Kippur. And what it says is, in effect, that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are not Tshuva days. Or at least they're not days of Tshuva that are frightening. Rosh Hashanah is before the Tshuva. And Yom Kippur is after the Tshuva. And the Rebbe quotes From the Rebbe Rashab, the Friedrich Rebbe said in the name of his father about Yom Kippur, about Yom Kippur, he said, The Friedrich Rebbe said of his father that the night of Yom Kippur, he wasn't under such stress, and I'm assuming it means compared to the first night of Rosh Hashanah, because (laughs) HaSotan Enei Mekateh B'Yem Zer. On Yom Kippur, there's no Sotan, that's what I said. We think we're being judged. <laughs> and the word is Yom Kippur Yom You know, I've been thinking. This has been my passion. This whole tufa this year. It's been years that it's bothered me. Whenever the Rebbe talk about Yom Kippur, he said Yom Yemakadesh. Yom Kippur I've never heard anybody kochzach Yemakadesh the holy day. Whenever the Rebbe talk, every time the Rebbe spoke out of Yom Kippur, he gave brachas. He said out Yom Hakipurim Yom Hakadosh, out of Yom 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 Kippur is the holy day. It's not the frightful day. It's not the day of sin and judgment. It's the holy day. Yom Kippur is holy day. So the Rebbe's opinion, in other words, is that the middle days are Tshuva days. Rosh Hashanah is higher than Tshuva. Yom Kippur is in a different way, much higher than Tshuva. He equates Rosh Hashanah to when you open up your eyes, he says, And he equates Yom Kippur to When you go to sleep at night. And then Shama goes to Ganadin And it's in a safe place. That's how he correlates the Sharib and the day, which is a day of Avoidah this is the Yamamera, this is the particular Sims. Nevertheless, it's a day of Yigiyah. People work very hard. You push yourself to your absolute limit. In other words, you want to use as many of the minutes of the Yahmaqadesh. But fish have a connection to the Kadushok of Yom So there's a human nature that when you work very hard for a short period of time, there is a, uh, a an effect, there is a recoiling, there is a a boomerang there's a bounce back you know I sat with girls a few nights ago and I talked to them about Yom Kippur and I said to them I compared Yom Kippur to a day of color war when a day of color war the whoever's the captives, they don't sleep they go 24 hours 26 hours came out with no sleep it's hyper energy I said Yom Kippur is a day of color war I don't mean it in the silly sense in the happy sense I mean it in the concentrated sense but I, after color war the girls sleep for two days this is what the Shurich Anarach is saying. Get up early. After Yom Kippur, you want to get up early. It doesn't mean you shouldn't take a nap later in the day. But you want... Their body should be connected to the head very often. And this I know for myself. You can have a very intense Rosh Hashanah. Nobody could say of themselves a successful Rosh Hashanah, but an intense Rosh Hashanah, and then you plot. Same is yes, true. You should have... A successful day after. Now the ultimate day after is after Simchas Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll talk about that. Yeah, but now we're holding Matzah Yim Kaddish. The day after Yim Kaddish, the holy day. That man uh, got to make sure that the, the return to normalcy has a normalcy to it, and is not too much of a forgiving of self. The day after, not because the word about the Amish punishment, but because we want that the event of Yom Kippur should continue and it shouldn't end ab- as abruptly as it started it should end now we're learning a maimed and as you know by now our obligations were met we paid our bills we learned Rosh Hashanah Shabbat Shuva, a Sukkot maimed there was a Simchas Teda maimed and a Shabbat B'nai Ma'im. this is for us records we're usually paying bills after Yom Tif. this year we did it ahead of time so I decided to take a maim from Toshin Yud Bey thinking how difficult it's only six pages how difficult could it be well, that was before <laughs> I started to actually learn it. Now, I want to share this with you by way of introduction. The Rebbe said the same Maimah two Bereshits in a row. This is the first Shabbat Bereshit of the Rebbe's Nesias. This is the first Maimah the Rebbe said Bereshit. <clears throat> he officially accepted the Nesias Yud-Alef, yud shrat tov Shin yud Alef, which is Shvat. This is the next Kishteh, tov shim yud This is the first Maimah of Bereshit the Rebbe said. The next year, tov yud gimel the Rebbe said again the Maimah of Shabbat Bereshit. Now, I did not do. Comparative, my modem. I didn't look up the other maimet. It's the same maimet, Ashar, Elish on the nefesh. I'm certain that there are many differences between the two versions of it, but they are nevertheless very, very, very similar. The maimet of I actually taught some bacharim. I, 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 I went to look to see what what I did teach and what I didn't teach. The maimet of the next year I already taught, but we're going to learn the maimet of this year. So it's going to take us two days, today and tomorrow. Okay, today we're going to learn the 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 hard part of the maimed, the scholarly part of the maimed. And tomorrow we're going to learn the more uh, human side of the maimed. And by the way, this human maimed is human for other maimed. It's not exactly an easy humanness either. Um, so today we're going to learn the, uh, the the hard part, which is the bottom of page Kufnun Hay, and then Kufnun Vav, and then Kufnun Zayin. And the most of it, more than half, we're going to leave it But tomorrow. Uh, once we learn today, tomorrow will be much easier. Let me preface, okay? The preface goes like this, that we know in Kabbalah, everything goes in four. Yud kevav, right? Atzil azbri, atzil asiyah. Dei meh, Everything goes in four. Everything is four. I guess the fanatics in the room would say in Hasidus they speak of five. Nefesh shiruch, nashom, mechay, yechida. And I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Or yeah. yud kevovke and the kutsayish yud the crown above the yud I'm not going to debate that uh, or as <laughs> Hasidim would say demer tsmei chaim adavid anayid finif Madregis. but in kabbalah everything goes in four the temach tzedek has a quote in eratera I believe the the <laughs> mara mkeimus here are missing <laughs> but I believe it's a quote from temach tzedek that the sefer yitzirah goes into number three. In other words, different Kabbalahs have different form. The Seif Yitzhida goes in the number three. Later Kabbalah, perhaps, I don't know about the Zayah, but certainly later Kabbalah goes in the number four. And like I said, the fanatics in the room would say that Qasidas goes in the number five, and everything is precise. Why does the Seif Yetzida go in the number three versus later Kabbalah go in the number four? And in short, the answer is because the Seif Yitzhida doesn't make any big deal of Caleb there's three levels of light and then the fourth level is Keli uh, later Kabbalah speak about four what's four? Chesed, Gevurah, Ferris, Malchus right? Chochobin, Daas, Malchus what's Malchus? the Gulf all the spirituality which is divided up into three has to manifest in a form in the body they say for see it doesn't concern itself with four it concerns itself only with three and there is a source for this in Zohar um how do I know this? Because it says, my mother has this. I never learned Zayid in my life. The Zaya says a very interesting thing. That if you start off with three, whatever the three are, the three are right, left, center, or as we're going to see in this Maimur, completely removed from this world, very manifest in this world, and then something in between, from the three, the fourth will emerge. For example, the Zaya says like this, Kavish be'isha gol baruch. if you have water, and you boil it. You cannot boil water without air. So right there you have emesh, Mayemesh. right? the city goes on three, The fire is boiling the water. The water is being boiled, and the air is making the fire burn, as opposed to being nostalgic. right? If you boil all the water out, there's no water left in the pot. There will be dust. So the Zayah says that dust is the fourth component. It's the keli. It's the keli. When the water is water, the dust, which is representative of the keli, is so diluted, you don't even see it. But if you were to boil out all the water, the keli would emerge. So the, my understanding is that the Seyf it goes in three, because in Kabbalah there's a concept of three. What the concept of three is lacking is the fourth element. The fourth element is the lowest element, and of course, the lowest element has the highest source, the concept of the vessel, the concept of the body, where the uh, light manifests. The Sefi, see, it doesn't concern itself with the fourth, just talks about the three spiritual aspects, with the understanding that from three emerges four automatically. Later, Kabbalah doesn't speak in the number three, it speaks in the number four. So This is interesting the reasons for these differences, Ishtar, that you have a certain Kabbalah that speaks in three, another Kabbalah that speaks in four, and then this other idea, which I didn't see in a moment, that perhaps that's why Hasidus speaks in five. Mm-hmm. Um, why this Kabbalah speaks in three and this Kabbalah speaks in four and this Kabbalah speaks in five is a question, and it probably deserves an answer, more than probably deserves an answer, but this is an answer that has to be given by somebody who is able to answer these kinds of questions. Um... I'm not able to answer such a question. I'm totally unqualified to answer such a question. I'm not even qualified to make the the correlations that I just made. So when you learn one mind and you learn about three, you say three is everything, then you learn another you learn about four, and then four is everything. Then you learn another maimet, and it says it speaks about five. It says five is everything, don't get nervous. It's different approaches, different svarim, different madregis, different generations, if you will, and the the Bringing together the fusing of these different Kabbalahs into anachtos, this is something which should be done by great experts. But here's a Maymer Chasidis that focuses on three. It doesn't focus on five, it doesn't focus on four, it focuses on three. Everything consists of three. So if you look in Siv Beis, it says, All of Ishtashus are is divided up into three. Now tomorrow you have going little five of Maymer going To tell you, call say the not a contradiction, because there's different Kabbalahs. This is Kabbalah of the Sefer Yitzira. How do I know? The number which represents ishtaos, what does is ishtaos means? Worlds, not just Hashem alone, Hashem alone is one, but the idea that there's something other than Hashem that has a relationship with Hashem, which we call ishtaos, however, we Talk about the specifics, but the basic idea that there is the Yevishdan, and then there's another, which is not the Yabish, and there's a relationship between the Yevishdan and that other, that other, which is called Hishdalshulos, is up in, in three. This is why the Sefer Yitzira speaks in these three ideas. These are the words Mishum The foundation of the whole Hishdalshulos is the number three, and I recall seeing in a moment you say, it called Sefer yitzira." But the Sefer yitzira goes, if you look in footnote 5, he's Matai to the amayim for the Rebbe Marash. He's metzai'in to to maima from the Rebbe Tzedek and the Rebbe Marash. I remember learning my mother from Friyidik and the Rebbe. This is based on a amayim for the Rebbe Rashab from Tavresh Pei. But I remember learning I think of Pezayin or Peivov. My mother from the Friyidik Rebbe, which also speaks about three and it says, who you say, Kol Sefer Yetzira. So, the way you should see this mimer from a scala- scholarly point of view, this is a mimer Hasidis, which is giving you the Kabbalah of the Sefer Yetzirah as opposed to different Kabbalah where things go in the numbers of four or even five. So that's it. That's what we're talking about. So there's three things. Aylam Shana Nefesh. Aylam Shana Nefesh means basically space, time, and life. Space is the lowest level. Life is the highest level. And time is the bridge between life and space and reality. In other words, for lack of words, there is the Evishter, there is the world, and there is what brings the Evishter and the world together. The world is Olam. Olam means world. It also means space. It also means hiddenness. Nefesh, the soul or the will, goes on, on the Evishter, or Evishter, li and the bridge between these two extremes, which is worldliness and godliness, is Shona. Shona means time. Shona means evolution, change. But it means time. Time and the phenomena of time itself explains the coming together of godliness at its purest and worldliness at as it, as its most worldly. It's brought together by an intermediate idea called time. But this moment is really not talking about time, space, and soul life It's talking about relationships. Olam represents the world, Nefesh represents the Abishted, and Shana represents their coming together. Okay? So the Rebbe said, I want to explain these three ideas. He starts from the lowest. The lowest is world. Olam is world. World is the concept of Mokram, of space. And as I said to you before, later in the Mayama that everybody's going to say that the Hebrew word oilam also means hell, hiddenness and concealment. So oilam represents the thing that is other, that the Abishta created that is distinct from the Abishta. Everything is Abishta. Eide right? If everything is Abishtah, there, there shouldn't be any other perceptions. The idea that there's an alternate alternative perception is oilam. The idea that the E-Bishter made something that should perceive itself in some way separate from Hashem is represented by the word oilam, which means narrowly, space, and broadly and more philosophically, concealment. It exists separate from the Eivishter because it's concealed from the truth. That's essentially how we understand it. And the Rebbe gives us three concepts of oilam. Concept number one, and if you look in your page, on page Kufman, you'll see I made Roman numerals. One, and then right next to it, Roman numeral two. And about seven lines into page and Vav, you have Roman numeral three. The Rebbe is going to speak about space, about the lower level, on three levels itself. Vav, the vav k'tzadus. That means six sides. East, west, north, south, up, and We would call three dimensions. The Maimon doesn't want to call three dimensions, the Maimon would call it six directions. Um, from a philosophical perspective, it's, as they say in English, the same difference. The reason he wants to speak about six is because he holds that the six directions come from the six meters. The six meters are not yet space, but because there are six meters, so there are six sides. It's three dimensions. Three dimensions means you take a point, a point, right? A point, if it's truly a point, has zero dimensions. If you stretch it in one way, you have one dimension, if you stretch it in two ways, you have two dimensions. If you stretch it in three ways, you have a cube, you have three dimensions. But a point, yeah? And you stretch that point into a line. A line has a length and no width. That's one dimension. If you expand that line into a shetach, into a flat plane, it has two dimensions, like a shadow. Shadows are two dimensions. But they have no depth, because they're not real. If you expand it into three dimensions, that's called entera, or goiva, The never calls it, goiva. Shetach is two dimensions, goiva is three dimensions. It's actually dense, right? It has a thickness. So for something to actually exist, you go from a point to one dimension, to two dimensions, three dimensions, then it's real. And these three dimensions have six directions. It's a physical thing. Everything we know is made up of three dimensions, of six sides. The tiniest things in the physical reality have six sides, three dimensions. That's the way it is. If it took up no space, we would not be able to detect it. We would not know what it is. We're able to see it because it exists in space, either directly or indirectly, uh, and space means three dimensions or six sides. So that's the first concept, the physical concept of things taking up space. So Eulam doesn't mean space, it means being in space. Eulam doesn't mean the phenomena of space, it means the thing of space. This is not space, it's spatial. Right? Spatial means that it occupies space, and if it occupies space, it has to have three physical dimensions. And the Rebbe says, Level two, is there is a metaphysical concept, a spiritual concept of space. Things that are not physical, they are spiritual, and they also have a relationship with space. Why? Because it has an indirect relationship to physical things. It's not physical. So if it's not physical, it doesn't have physical dimensions, but it has a relationship with physical things. And because it has a relationship with physical things, it has a relationship with physical dimensions. right? Now what would be an example of that? An example of that would be perception. Perception. What does perception mean? I have eyes. My eyes allow me to see physical things. Vision is not a physical thing. Vision is a spiritual thing. If a person is not alive, exactly the same eyes he sees nothing because the power the visual the ability to see has to do with the neshama but it has to do with the neshama that's relating to physical eyes and ultimately to the physical things that the physical eyes are observing you understand so seeing something is using a spiritual property to identify something that exists in space the same is true with hearing same is true with, with smelling, with touching, we can debate, and tasting. These are physical chushim, physical sensibilities or sensitivities, that relate to physical things. In other words, in Gan Eden, seeing means something very different than it means on earth. In Gan Eden, hearing means something very different than it means on earth. But when I'm on earth, and I use my eyes to see physical things, so the koya the ability to see, which is a spiritual power, is associated with a physical thing. So the Rebbe argues not only are there dimensions on the physical plane, there are dimensions on any spiritual thing which is relating to physical things. Do you follow? Yeah? And he pushes he spells it out for you. Four lines from the bottom, the you and Zemikh San Let's use the faculties of the soul The healing. Gama na sham khish mahkehes. And shaman does that faculties. Kaya khariyya, kaya kashmiya, the power to see, the power to hear, the keyahilah. There's even a concept of mobility, of movement, of motion. Spiritually. And he says, what does it mean to an Ishamangana to see? Al a sits in and it knows a certain level of godliness, but it's a level of godliness which it doesn't know because it's above it. But the Nishamaidan has a muzzle which can see the levels of godliness that the neshama's own perception is unable to perceive. So the spiritual concept of seeing is relating to something in a spiritual world which is higher than your spiritual level. So there's seeing in Ganei. Avol yeredes when the soul descends into this world. You see physical things. So the Rebbe's argument is that means seeing is not a physical phenomena. It's a spiritual phenomena that exists in different worlds in different ways. And as we use the power to see on the physical level, that's the Ruch which is connected to Gashmias. And when is connected to Gashmias, it too has a connection to space. And the Rebbe Gazzan says, V'Chinu you the see Ressi, Sh'inyone, Eitzel, Neshama, Tishish, In Gan what does it mean that the Neshama hears? It hears voices, sounds, announcements, declarations, which are explained, mentioned in Pityovus, and so on. When the soul comes into the physical body, its ability to hear is only in physical things. When your neshama is in your guf, it cannot hear spirituality. And the Rebbe makes mention of the fact that to be in the physical world and hear the voices which are being made, it has to do with Etzam and neshama. Five lines from the top at the end of the line. Now six lines. Venims, thus. When a shoma would start out in comes into a body, its spirituality adapts. Emphasis on the word spirituality. It's connected to physical things. that move? come this explains accordingly. That when you have a spiritual thing, however, that spiritual thing reveals itself on a physical plane, yes, but above, has a connection to space and to physical space. So the Rebbe is saying like this. Space means world. World means I actually occupy three dimensions. The Neshama is spiritual, but the Neshama in the Guf is occupying three dimensions because it perceives only in three dimensions. The Neshama's perception that it had on high, which was above dimensions, is lost to the Neshama. Does everybody understand so far? Now, I want to add something which the Rebbe doesn't say, but I believe is true. This is true of your intellect as well. You have a brain, yeah? You use your brain to study what? That's what? Different things. If you're using your brain to study the physical universe, whether you're learning physics or chemistry or biology, makes no difference. Your seichel, which is much idealer than your chushim, is involved in spatially contained material things that are absolutely connected to space and time. And therefore, not only are your eyes and your ears that are a for your chushim, your spiritual senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. When they're in the body, they become spatially oriented, but your sechum, your intelligence, your intellect, and your emotions, when they are relating to things that exist in physical space, this is also part of ruch ni yisam so the Rebbe's assertion is that Olam, which means world or space or dimensions, that means reality separate from the Ebeshtit in its own perception of self, exists physically and it exists spiritually in as much as spirituality relates to the physical. So far, so good. Okay, but now it gets more difficult. Roman numeral three, v'hine. <laughs> Gam even when you're dealing with spirituality which is not coming into the physical. In other words, when you're involved in spirituality that is not in any way relating to a physical thing, gamke involved It also has six sides, three dimensions. when it comes to ideas, Ideas, by definition, don't have dimensions. hanekuda An intellectual essence. And I want you to see the next five words. Intellect is truly the point of the idea because that's where the light of the idea is. It has no dimensions. Still, when it will later come down into apprehension, intellectual form and grasp, it's going to have dimensions. Those are the details of the idea that a person is understanding and therefore pure spirituality also has dimensions. Now you must understand that there's a lot more unwritten than written on this page. You see, I added something that the Maimah doesn't say. And I added something the Maimah doesn't say because I believe it's the Pshat and the Maimah. But by adding this, I complicated the Maimah. But I also think I said what I think the Maimah means. When a person is learning about a physical thing, that's not pure seich. When you're using your mind to understand anything physical, that's not what Hasidists would consider real learning, real ideas. Why not? Because I start off with the end. I start off with a thing that exists. My brain is not inventing the idea. It's interpreting it the physical thing exists, I'm going to use my brain to understand what that physical thing is. I'm not creating a new idea. The idea is represented by the physical thing. Whoever Seichal wanted to create that physical thing has already been invested, it's already present. I'm simply ignorant of something that's already manifest. Right? The sechal of that physical thing that I'm studying exists already because the physical thing itself already exists. So when I learn. And interpret physical things to understand the intellectual secrets, the, the laws, as we would call it, behind that physical thing. I'm not inventing those laws, I'm discovering them. They already exist. What's real Seikh? Real Seikh, from a perspective of Hasidis, is spirituality. Real Seikh means nothing exists. I have a question, but I don't have a question about an actual thing. I have a question about something which is not a thing, which is unknown. It's unknown because it's not represented by anything. For example, the Eivishter. What is God? It's a very simplistic question. It is a simplistic question. But when you answer that simplistic question, you can ask more sophisticated questions. When you're asking the question, what is God, and you are sequentially, systematically answering that question, you're going from the unknown to the known, from the simplistic to the very scholarly, very intricate, And you're beginning with nothing. Because Abish is not a thing. Or to say it in a little bit more uh, reasonable way, what is a soul? What is life? It's it's not the biology, it's the spirituality. That's called learning. It's called learning because you're not ignorant in a case where the, the knowledge is already present and you simply need to discover it. There is no knowledge. You're going to create the knowledge. You're going to bring forward from a non-existential truth existent knowledge. So you're going to ask the question what is God? And you're going to give yourself a certain answer. And then of course that question is going to lead to a second question and to a third question and to a fourth question. And if you have humility and if I may insert and you have the proper purity for the purposes of objectivity you can actually develop a more comprehensive understanding of what the Ayyavist is, as Avraham Avinu did. It was real intellect. It was real Seychelles. It wasn't subjective. But he starts from the unknown to the known. Says the Rebbe, if you are learning Seychelles in the true sense of the word, it has nothing to do with physical things. Nothing. It's not how do I explain a fish. The fish is already explained. How do I know the fish is already explained? It exists. That's how it was explained. I don't know about the fish, so I need to extrapolate from what I see to what I don't see. But the Abish is not a fish. He doesn't exist in dimensions at all. So when I'm trying to understand the Abish there, I am dealing with a non existential truth. That Seychal has no Shachast and Makkab to, to So I want you to talk, we'll talk through this. The first concept of Oilam is when I am relating to actual physical things. The second concept of Olam, when I'm relating to spirituality, that's manifest in physical things. The senses and my mind, when I'm learning a physical thing, that's an interplay between Ruch and a physical thing. What about when I'm using my Seichel to understand truly Seichel ideas? Truly Seichel ideas don't have a physical representation at all. It's always abstract. It's always indirect. It's always afshat. So the Rebbe says, the real intellect is in the nekuda, that emerges from your subconscious to your consciousness. And the Rebbe says, look at the words, nekuda the point of the idea, it's eight lines or seven lines at the end of the first paragraph. Seikh. Which is where the enlightenment is, where the light of this new idea, which I'm literally creating, bringing it forward from my subconscious, to my consciousness, that I should be enlightened. It's an, it's an enlightenment, it's a point. Has no form, has no dimensions, has no word, it's an enlightenment. A second before I didn't know, now I know, but what do I know? I know something that at the moment is higher than words, higher than form. So I don't know if it's true. Maybe I had a bad day. Maybe it's not a streiten. And of course the answer is I'm gonna de- process it. I'm gonna develop it. In processing it and developing it, I'm going away from the enlightenment. But that's the only way for me to test the credibility of that enlightenment, says the Rebbe. The enlightenment itself is above space. But the process by which I test that enlightenment, or to say it more concretely, the process by which one could share that enlightenment with another, that has dimensions. As the Rebbe now says, Share Hanukkuda the point of the idea, we are primarily light. In other words, no form. Ayin B'Ketzavah has no dimensions. Says Ba says, if I want to understand this, if I want to be able to truly apprehend that enlightenment, and I want to test if it's true, and I want to teach it to somebody else, now it has dimensions. And therefore, the Rebbe asserts, on all three levels, you have physical things, Spiritual things have a connection to physical things and spiritual things that don't have a connection to physical things. Even the highest level of spirituality, as we are relating to them, and we cannot afford to relate to a point as a point, we need to develop it, there's a concept of Mok. So this is how the Rebbe presents us to, in, 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 the technical language is Oshon, Ayin, Shin, Nun, Olam, Shon Nefesh. The Ayin is Olam. This is how the Rebbe, this is the concept of means for now, everything comes from the e-bishter. But the way it comes to the it has no form. As it becomes separated from the Ebishter, it becomes an entity unto itself, whether it's physical, or it's physical indirectly, or it isn't physical at all. If it has form, it's Olem. And the Rebbe finishes the paragraph, <laughs> The reality is, that when you want to understand something thoroughly, you have to go away from the enlightened point, Then you're going to have to work very hard to re-extract the point that is the essence. And it never says in parenthesis, the point of light, the point of life, from what you comprehend. In other words, you have an enlightenment. You process that enlightenment. And only when it's properly processed do you know if it's true or false. But when you process it, it takes on dimensions. It becomes oil but now that you process it, you want to struggle again to find that enlightened essence in the, in, the, in the form that's not easy because when it takes on form it becomes worldly it becomes a worldly phenomenon I circled the word which is why dimensions sides are called because they're heights for something to be the Abishta has to be hidden from it it's very simple because Hashem is not hidden from it. It's not Olam. And Olam means dimensions, whether they're physical, or they're physical indirectly, or they're not physical at all. If something exists in a concrete way, and it's not God, it's hiding God in one way or another. In one level. This is Olam, and this is the philosophical uh, context for the word Mokram, space. Okay, That's the bottom. It's the lowest level. But now the Rebbe doesn't go to the middle level. He goes to the highest level. Says the Rebbe, in the next paragraph in your nefesh, nefesh, which is life or godliness. Who bechinas nekuda saeid? I circled the word nekuda, the point of light. Vachayes in life shalemai lamiyanapratam, altogether above detail. And then the Rebbe adds shalemai klal Life is not only above detail; it's not even a generality for details. And the Rebbe gives us a little philosophy here, and I don't have time to elaborate, so I'll sort of I'll cut to the chase. In Hasidus, you have three concepts. Now, of course, tomorrow I'll tell you four. The next I'll tell you five. But for now, there's three concepts: prat, Klau, pshitos. Prat means a detail. Klau means a an all-including point, and pshitos means plainness, simplicity. Let me give you an example. Okay? Ain sof. Yeah, you've met ain sof, huh? Ain <laughs> sof. Yeah, you're smart. Ain sof. Is sensitive. Ain sof. Is passionate. Eint-Saf is everything. That's what the saf means, everything. But in Eint-Saf, you cannot identify its intelligence. You can't identify its sensitivity. You can't identify its passion. Because in Eint-Saf, all you have is Eint-Saf. The Hebrew word that denotes how come in Eint-Saf you can't identify a specific aspect is because everything is poshut petakhlita pshitut. Everything plain. Of course, Eint-Saf is intelligent. But there's no intelligence in eint that's how you understand the Yen Tzav. Chassidus takes it to the next level. When Hashem desires a world, the world exists. Correct? Now this world that Hashem desires exists in the Yen Tzav. But now Hashem has carved, has, has put onto the plainness of the Yen Tzav a potential form of a world. So in the Yen Tzav, as Hashem wills a world, what kind of a world do you have? And the answer is going to be cloud. The whole world exists in general. We're not going to use the word Poshet anymore. Because Poshet means there's absolutely no detail. There's no leaning towards detail. There's only Ein Tzav. When Hashem chooses to create a world, and if you were Kabbalist you would say 10 spheres as opposed to infinite spheres. The will of Hashem to produce a reality based on these 10 spheres as opposed to the remaining infinity of spheres is still not yet detailed, but it's been singled out, it's been isolated. And we call it a cloud, a generality from which details will form. And of course, once you have a cloud, then you have pratim, you have details. So the Rebbe's assertion would be this. Makayim, the first idea we talked about, would be pratim, be actual, detailed, specific dimensions. You follow? Nefesh is the opposite extreme. What does the opposite extreme mean? Not only is Nefesh above details, it's above a generality. You can't even say of Nefesh, claw. Because Nefesh has no relationship to the world that will have formed later. It's the Ebishtim. That's what the Rabbi is saying. Second line. You can't even call it a, a generality, a general rule for the details that will later follow. This means, in other words, imayayayth, shakal pratim, the boy, bayim This There's no doubt. That any world that will later emerge came from the Eibshteh, from his truth. The word, the the point, which is the simplicity of the Ein is not including within itself. It's not a, a general source of the details. It's 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 itself. It's an is. It's a being by itself. Everything that can happen is included in that Ein Sof. But nothing that can happen, that will happen, is represented specifically in the Eintzaf at all. Hashem is not the beginning of the world. Hashem is the beginning and the end of Hashem. Worldliness is outside of Him. Worldliness as it's included in Him only happens when there's a, a ratzen, a will. That you can call a cloud. But the simplicity of the Eintzaf, as is by itself, doesn't even have a basis for the world other than if He's God is everything. So, not only is it higher than Pratim, it's higher than klau. Okay? So, if you look at the end of the paragraph, three and a half lines on the end, it says, The point of light and life. In other words, Hashem as he is not connected to a world whatsoever, who in me, is to itself. Right? today. I don't know why this is coming out of me now, but this is an idea. I remember learning it as a very young bocher, when I was still very, very sincere. 15 or 16 years old. I'm of reading him. You say Vaivorak Dovid, right? Baivorak David has two parts. Part of it's from Divya Yom and part of it is from the Chemiah. And the second of Ayvarak Dovid, the part that's from the Chemiah, it says, Shem You are God alone by yourself. Then it says, you made a world. And then later on it says, There's three atas. Attahua means you are the that you are by yourself. There is a separate Atahu. who? Shashisa, shashmayim, And of course in the Kabbalah, term, they bring down that the second Atah is Chaser Hay. It's missing a He. There's a whole mysticism around what the significance of that Chaser Hay is. But Atahu who Avayi means we all need to understand that the Eivishter is not our servant. We're the Abishta servant. Atahu who Avayi, we want to talk about the truth of the Eivishter vadacha It's a solitudinous, it's an alone existence. The Eivishter by himself. There's no world, there never was a world, there never will be a world, there's a And we say it every day in Davening and every time I come to it, it sort of <coughs> slows me down. we're not allowed to forget that the truth of Aqadish Baruch Hu has nothing to do with the world at all. It's that made at by his own choice. He's not bound by it, it, doesn't have a nature. And then is and all the rest as it says in the and so on. And then lastly, why did the did, who is Levadecha, make all of these things because of Atahu Hodeshem Hashem Bechatev Yavram. There's a purpose, a point. a mench Avram mavinu But the Ato Hashem of Decha, says Rabbi Nefesh is Atoho Hodeshem Nefesh is the Eibishter Levadecha. It has nothing to do with the world. You cannot say that the worlds were designed to come from Him. He exists for Him. If worlds emerge from Him, that's not, Part of his definition. It's part of the world's definition. Because he is not a klal, he's a pshitus. That's the Hebrew. So the Rebbe says, Because he exists. There can be a world. But he is not defined by the world, or the world is defined by him. Since Hashem is everything, included in everything there's a possibility of something. And because there's a possibility of something, there can be a something possibly, there can be a something actually, but the something actually, and the something possibly, are not part of his definition, they're part of his infinite uh, pshitas, plainness. And that's Nevish. So if you think about it, what the Sevi Yitzit is trying to do, what the Rebbe here in our Maimah is trying to do, is trying to bridge the highest of the high and the lowest of the low. Aylam is actual worldliness that exists in dimensions whether it's physical or connected to physical or connected to physical, only indirectly. Nefesh, the Rebbe is emphasizing, it's not a high level of spirituality. It's the idea that spirituality doesn't need anything but itself. And of course, Pshitos, and the sefer it encompasses this vast, you can't even quote terrain, this vast everything, the world as we know it, and the is in no way has a relationship with the world, and how they're all included in this one basic idea of three. And I'm sure, I mean, you, you, you know, the women don't say Tikkun, well, so If they stay up, they learn Taylor. But if you say Tikkun, you learn enough safety, the whole safety goes in threes. Everything is in threes. Seifir, Seifir, and Sipur, Ksav, Mikhtav, and this. Everything is divided up into three. The whole safety Tzid is structured around three. And this is the reason, because three represents everything. The E-bishter, the world. And what bridges the two? And the Rebbe says in the next paragraph, "Om lam ki even shabachinas nefesh olamal uinaprotatim." Since nefesh represents the Eibishter, as he is levadecha all by himself, veinabachinas kolala even a general rule for them. While the hilubachinas olam worldliness is an actual three-dimensional thing, who inyan shall helam vehestef, it means that Hashem is hidden. And because Hashem is hidden, therefore, there is dimensions. In Cain, the question becomes now: how can godliness, which is pshitos, and worldliness, which is actual dimensions, ever come together? There's no shatchem that can bring together such opposites hainu, his chabras, page kufnun zayin, a joining together of our nefesh the, gulf, the ultimate spirituality which is represented by the word nefesh with the ultimate physicality which is represented by the word guf. How do these two converge? Acha who and the answer is she'iz This convergence is the next sheet, kufnun zayin. The convergence is ratzav v'shayin. Ratzav means emotion or duality. Ratzav Veshev means any being that has more than one definition. Nefesh has one definition. Bifnei Aksmei. world has one definition. Helam. The bridge between the two has to be an entity that is able to do two things. Have a relationship with Nefesh and have a relationship with Oilam. Therefore, its definition is not one thing. Bifnei Aksmei and Helam, but the Ratzav do Two motions. Connecting to the Evishter and connecting to the world. When there's a relationship between the absolute pshittahs of Nefesh and the absolute worldliness of Guf, so this joining together has to involve opposites. Why? On the one hand, the moment the Neshama comes in to the Guf, he wants to leave. But then the Nefesh realizes that the Evishter created this body because he wants it, Right? Why? Because So the two motions in this in-between phenomena, which we're going to soon call time, or the source of time, shono. because time means change, and change means this duality. the shave, is on the one hand, when you think about Nefesh, you want nothing to do with worldliness. When you think about the fact that the Eivishter wants the world, you want everything to do with worldliness. And therefore you're torn in two directions. Now, I've shared this with you on many occasions in the past. The Rebbe has a and which is based on my Mari but the Rebbe has a very significant component. The Mishnah says, You're forced to live and you're forced to die. You're forced to live and you're forced to die. So the question is obvious if you're forced to live, then you should want the opposite of life. And if you're forced to die, then you should want to live. How could the Mishnah says you don't want to live and you do want to live? You don't want to live and you don't want to not live. Right? That's a typical Jew. <laughs> Confused. How could they both be true? About And the answer in short is because everybody has two drives. Their selfish drive and their idealistic drive. The selfish drive of a Neshama is to go and become one Hashem, not to live. The idealistic drive of a Neshama is to do what the Abishta wants. The wants Deidaleh Yisbarach B'tachtem. He wants us to exist. So we have two drives. The neshama for itself wants to go to Ganeid. The neshama for what the Abishta wants, wants to be in Aguf. This says in Rana, this is not the Rebbe's idea, this says before. So now the Rebbe comes along and asks a question on the answer to the first question. The question is, stupid neshama, pick one or the other. You have two drives. One is your selfish drive, one is your idealistic drive. Sit down, decide which one you want, and then don't be confused. In other words, we understand why there's two drives, two balkarchos. There's the neshama's own interest, and there's the neshama's interest in as much as the there wants. Choose, choose between these two drives, and you have only one drive. And shalom alam Shoma. Not to say, "I don't want to live," and I don't. I do want to live. So the Rebbe says, "Don't you understand?" God forbid. And the neshama says, "You know, I want to live. Why? I want to make a deal And the neshama says, "I don't be. Don't care about to the Abishter. The neshama is no longer qualified to make that d'irim he becomes the If the neshama doesn't have both drives, he doesn't have either drive. In other words, it's not two things pulling me in two directions. It's two things pulling me in two directions that are defining me. It's only when I have one well, both wants. I want to sit and learn Tayin. And then I go and teach somebody else. If I lose an interest in learning Taita myself, what kind of teacher am I? So it's not the pshat that there's two different aspects of a, of a soul being pulled in two different directions. It's the two aspects of the soul being pulled in two directions that combine to create what the neshama is. Tension. Metach. Tension. I want two things. By wanting those two things, I am. That's shana. It's not the either or, it's the both. Because there's an aspect of a want to be one with Levadech. And because there's an aspect of want to be one with Oylam. And I want both of those. That qualifies me to be the intermediate between nefesh and elam. The Nimza, fourth line from the top, thus, that the joining of the neshama in the body It's not that the neshama comes into the body and stays in the body because then the neshama would die. There's constantly two motions, not only physically but philosophically wanting to be connected to the Eivishter, and wanting to do what the Eivishter wants, his talkers with his pastors, that's its reality. Its reality is that tension. The Jew goes on Shlichis and loves the suburbs too much. It takes away from him his ability to be a Shlich. There needs to be the combination, the tandem. That's how Sman is. Time forms from the space that is created by the duality. The two-ness creates space. Because space is divisions of individual seconds. And it's formed by being pulled in two different directions. So, you need to have two. Right? One is I want to be connected to the Ebsheta. The other, I want to connect to the Ebsheta's purpose. And I have to have both. Because I don't have both, I don't have either. Right? So far, so good. Yeah. But now that never goes even deeper. If we accept the premise that I just established then the truth that emerges is we need to have two drives because of a chasadim. There's something wrong with us. What's wrong with us? That the minute I stop wanting to be connected to the that I forget to do my job as his servant. Theoretic, ideally, if I was a perfect tzaddik, I could just go into the goof, be involved in the goof, and forget the other side of the equation. Right? We understand now that shana is the combination of these two detainers. They must both exist. Because if I have one without the other, I lose it. But if I could have one without the other, I wouldn't need it. says says, Nope. The ratzai v'shev is not only rooted in the The idea that there has to be a combination of drives is not only rooted that if I lose my want for God, I lose my ability to change His world. There's a positive reason. This is really, really philosophical and said so concisely. This idea, six lines in the top. der daft. That you have to have a combination of two drives Concurrently, always, who laid out with and It's not only because of a fault. What's the fault? Man, comes into the body; he can enjoy the body too much. So you need both. But did Eben know? That's true too. All of us know this. All of us know that we can enjoy the shuv so much. Yeah, you forgot that. Right? Like, remember getting married? Getting married? Yeah. So that's a mitzvah, the playhouse. <laughs> but guess what? You still got to go to shul. You still a see or a the girl. Yeah. Getting married the first time in the life of a chasidish person that becomes a mitzvah to be domestic. But, uh, yeah, it's not very nice, but you could, you're not allowed to forget the Eimster. It has to be a combination of Ratzav even there. Bocher, a student of mine came to me and said, What should I do during Sheva I said, Davin Shechas with a minion. That's what I told him. That that ruins the whole experience of Sheva Yeah, But that's what the idea is. It's not supposed to ruin the, you don't die during Sheva <coughs> You're still a living person. You don't have to do tshuva after you get, after. <laughs> You're right, you are Yerayit this ratzay Veshev is but there's something much deeper the need for both Ritzoynas is not only because you'll get swallowed up by the world there's something philosophical about it or mystical even about it he says this it is necessary for the purpose of life itself to have ratzay Veshev what is he saying let's imagine hypothetically taking a Shana put it into a goof and it loses connected to the Yimshite. but it's singularly dedicated to its purpose the it doesn't forget that it's about God it doesn't become worldly L'cha'ayra, you would take away the tension from the neshama it just does it's shlichus and everything is good it says, Rebbe, you're missing something. There's, something there's another reason why Ratzel V'shaib must be beyond the of what happens to a neshama when it gets too involved in the world and what is that the nefesh itself, v'ha'in yenu. And the Rebbe explained. Listen to me carefully. The healing, hachayes ha'nefesh mechayes ha'guf. What happens when the shomer goes into a body? It's be'ayven shaguf acts maynasachai. It's not that a dead body is being pushed around by a soul. The body itself is living. V'ha'inu another word. She ain't there be'ayven shaguf nishadover The body doesn't remain dead. Ela she nimtza be'nefesh chay. She mechayes ete bi'bechutz Outside of the unliving body, there's a force that keeps it alive. Like a machine. Machines are dead. Electricity forces the machine to be functional. That's why every time you use a machine, you're breaking it. You're burning it up the engine. That's the way it works. A machine is stagnant pieces that are being forced into motion with energy. The energy doesn't make the machine transformed. The energy pushes the machine. A body is not a machine. A body is an organism, a living thing. The entering of the neshama in the body makes the body itself alive. Ki shaguf atzmei The body itself is living. You've heard the expression before. A living thing carries itself. So the Rebbe says, Why is a, you've heard this expression before, Why does a living person feel lighter than a dead person? Because a living person is neshama, it's not goof. And neshama is light. Why is a living person neshama not guf? Because when the neshama goes into the guf, it becomes the guf. The Rebbe said once, As long as you're healthy, you're not aware of your body. You're feeling your soul. When you're feeling your body, it's because you're sick. There's a deficiency. When a person is perfectly healthy, he feels neshama not guf. Because the fusion of neshama and guf is such that the body itself becomes living. So the Rebbe says, let's analyze this. What does it mean a neshama goes into a guf and the guf itself is alive? It means that the life in that body is joining with the body. It's becoming one with the body. It's fusing with the body. It's fusing with the body so much that the body becomes alive. Says the Rebbe, if when the soul goes into the body, the body itself becomes alive, then the soul that's entering into the body cannot be Atzmi. Atzmi means the soul as it exists by itself. An Atzmi, the soul as it exists by itself cannot relate to anything other than itself. If your neshama goes into your goof and makes your guf neshama-like, that can't possibly be the essence of the neshama. Because the essence of the neshama has not relationships. It has to be a light of the neshama. Something secondary. A, a reflection of the neshama. Thus, if when your neshama goes into your body, your body itself is living, it's because there's life in that body, and the life is becoming one with that body. So, the life which is becoming one with that body, that making that body exist as though the body itself were living, has to be nivdal mim has to be separate from the source. Because of the essence of the nishama, the neshama as that exists by itself would be revealed in the body. When one thing enters into another thing, and takes it completely over. They has to be relating. An essence can't have a relationship like that. If your body lives as though it's soul, there is no way it can be what we call the essence of the soul. The essence of the soul does not allow for that. It has to be a light of the soul. Something secondary. So there's the neshama. There's the goof. And there's the neshama entering into the goof. And the goof is nishama like... The neshama that enters into the guf the gulf, the light, is not the essence. It's the ha'oda of the neshama. Because it's not the essence, it can join with the body. But now think about this: if it's not the essence of the neshama which can join with the body, what keeps it alive? So we have to keep on reading. gisa. <inaudible> on the other hand, seven lines at the end of the paragraph. It <inaudible> must constantly remain cleaving to its source. The it would stop being alive. Now there's, there's a bracket here, which is four lines, which is very, very important, about Chay Be'etze, and Chay There's a very profound idea that Hasidah says. There's a very big difference between being alive and transferring life to something other. To transfer life to something other, you have to be alive from yourself. Why am I alive? Because of the Ebi Not because of me. If I'm alive, because of the Ebi it's enough, I'm living, I can't give you life. Unless the Ebishter is in me. When the Ebishter is in me, I am called the Chai It's as if the life is my own. If the life is my own, then I can give it to you. If I live from the Ebishter, so it's enough that I'm alive. If the Ebishter has given me life, and in me there's an essence of life, I live in such a way that I can transmit to something other. So The Neshama is a Chai Hashem put a piece Himself into the Neshama, and the Neshama lives. So the Neshama can give life to the body. But when the Neshama gives life to the body, if the Neshama is giving life to the body in such a way that the body itself feels as though it's living, in the trans transmission, there has to also be this idea of Chaybi yitzim, that the Neshama has to feel as though it's living from itself. Therefore the Rabbi says, your Neshama can't go into your goof. A light of your Neshama goes into your goof. But the light of your neshama that's going into your goof has to carry what the neshama is. Again, what is the meaning of the neshama? The avish that gave its life, it's its own. The, nesh- the life of the neshama that goes into the body has to carry that property. Because if it doesn't carry that property, it can't transmit it. That means, your neshama goes into your goof. your goof itself feels alive. Your neshama itself feels alive because nesh- your goof itself feels alive because there's, nesh- there's neshama in goof. But what kind of neshama the kind of nishama that has life that is as though it is its own. That's why you need the The idea that the meeting of the soul and the body will always involve two points. Ratsavishayev tension is not only because if it involves only one, it dies, but because that's the only way it really lives. Is a difference. One idea is if my nishama doesn't return to the source, it'll die. Another idea is if my shaman doesn't turn to, to its source it won't die. But it won't really live. Really live means that the body is not something which is forced to live. It's a living being. Chai So the Rebbe says two different ideas and they're both very subtle. The constant of these two ideas is that the meeting of Godliness alone, pshitos and oil and world is by an intermediate being called Ratz HaVashayim. It is by definition a tension of two opposites. And the Rebbe says there's two reasons why the attention must exist. First of all, because the attention doesn't exist the body will die. Second of all, even if the body doesn't die, but it won't really be alive. Really be alive means that I live in such a way as if the life is my own. How can my Shama? Give my goof light, that the goof should feel alive, if the chaybe etzem is in my goof, the idea of living, as though it, it's not coming from the abishtir. The abishtir gave it to me, and now it's mine. For this, my neshama must always remain as, attached to the essence of my neshama, which is a chaybe the, chay yetz- the bracket, five lines, the, the nefesh exists in such a way that life is its own. Shalachain hu chayla because the neshama exists, as so life is his, not the avishness. That's why it give life to somebody else. She yaguf atzmechay, the body itself should live. Whom is a moving We understand, therefore, she a when part of the neshama gives life to the body, tzadakhli is baif in chudov, it must remain attached to the level of life of the neshama, which is the neshama's own. She <speaking in Hebrew> ayrak only because of this it can give the body life in such a way that the body feels alive now, I'm not going to hold it against you if you didn't get this Okay, but the second point is saying that for the body to live the way the body lives that when a person is healthy, he feels immortal nobody feels like they're going to die until they get sick because they're not feeling body they're feeling soul, and soul is in fact immortal the soul has to fuse with the body in such a way that the body should be a soul the soul cannot become cut off from the source. So there's two ideas here. Why is the intermediate thing between absolute godliness, pshitos, etzem, and absolute worldliness, a duality, a tension, a ratzei The first reason is because if you get involved in the world and you forget your source, you die. And the second reason is even if you get involved in the world, you remember your source and you don't die, but you're not really living to really live, the source has to be in you. The only way the source can be in you is if there is a rasev So there gives two insights into what nefesh is. What is nefesh? Nefesh is a tension between absolute godliness and absolute worldliness that brings them together. So what we learned today. In short, is olim shana nefesh. Olim means world. Nefesh means not world at all. And shana means that entity that fuses the two. Okay. What's going to happen tomorrow? The Rebbe is going to explain this in a and it's going to connect it to the Posek, which the Maimon is based on.